Good morning. It's good to be here. Um, like David mentioned, I serve at Northview, uh, and we are both part of the same Immerse program. So both of us are working on our master's. This is our last year, so Lord willing, done. Forever from, from school. Not forever, uh, but for like a long time, at least a decade before I read a book because someone makes me. Uh, now I get to choose. Uh, I'm going to be in Psalm 119, verse 68. You're welcome to turn there. We are doing one verse, not 178. You're welcome. Uh, Based on how long I shared last service off this one verse, I'm very grateful I only went with one verse rather than, you know, 10 or 15 or whatever. I have the Facebook app. My wife has the Facebook app, uh, and if you've used it before, you know they have one of those little symbols for the Facebook Reels, right? And if you click on one, it, will, it has an algorithm that will target you with videos based on things you like and based on things you've previously watched. Well, my wife and I welcomed our first child into this world March 10th, 2021. So we have a little boy. That's why my family's not here. My son naps at this time, so currently he's probably asleep or crying at my wife for putting him down. Uh, and this little, because of babies, right, we get a bunch of targeted baby videos. And we saw one of the cutest ones I've ever seen. Uh, it was this little baby, little boy, probably two months, three months, very young, uh, who was born with a deformity in his eyes, so he, he could not see. And the video was an optometrist fitting him with his first pair of eyeglasses. And this little guy, like, is wriggling, you know how kids are, right? Just wriggling, mom pins him down, the doctor's fiddling with his headgear, and then puts on the goggles, right? And they're not glasses, they're like goggles, because kids will pull them off. And then you see him, like, stop. And then he can see his mom. And he starts babbling. His mom starts crying. Uh, My wife is watching this video, so she starts crying. Uh, I'm watching the video. I start sweating from my eyes. Um, So it was so touching. It was so beautiful to see someone be able to see. Uh, And this is what glasses do, right? They help you see the world around you. Um, Glasses help you see your physical world. Uh, But there is another kind of glasses, right? There's the spectacles of scripture. John Calvin was a theologian from 500 years ago who he used this phrase in in writing a theology textbook. And he said, the Bible gives you spectacles, right? The spectacles of scripture that help you view the world around you. Um, So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to learn how Psalm 119.68 teaches us to view the world around us. I have one one simple lesson today. Uh, God does good or allows evil to bring about greater good. God does good, or allows evil to bring about a greater good. We have three points this morning. God is good. God does good. God allows evil for greater good. So we're going to go Psalm 119.68. It is one verse. If you have a Bible, you can see it there, or it'll be behind me on the screen. You are good and do good. Teach me your statues. Uh, That's it. That's all we're covering today, but there is a lot here. Uh, Psalm 119, obviously David preached on this this passage this past summer. He preached from a a different set of verses. There's 176 to choose from. Uh, I focused in on this one because it teaches us something profound uh, about the character of God. So 176 verses, 22 paragraphs, eight lines each. Psalm 119 says something, uh, or is designed to help us view the, the Bible correctly. All of it is, is talking about the merits, the values, the, the importance of the word of God. Uh, but I think there's a, there's a deeper lesson here as well. 
Uh, if you're familiar with the term hermeneutics, hermeneutics is the, the way that we read the Bible. So the rules or the principles that guide how you view the, how you view the scriptures and how you understand them. All right, one of the basic rules, like one of the most foundational rules, is that the plain meaning of the text gets priority. So if you read the Bible and it seems to be talking about something, that's probably what you should talk about. So Psalm 119 is talking about the law of God, right? The law of God gives us life. The law of God is a treasure. The law of God should be sought. Uh, But there's a second rule that secondary meanings are possible. So within the scriptures, there's the plain meaning, uh, but scripture also affirms other things. And if we look at this specific verse, it, it affirms, it says something about the scriptures, right? Teach me your statues. The law of God, the Bible is worth learning. But it says something about God's character. It is, right, it is speaking about God, right? So the you is, is God. Three verses before we read Yahweh. So Yahweh, God, is good and does good. This one little verse is teaching us something uh, about the character of God. And really, if we look at the entirety of the scriptures, that's kind of what they do, right? 66 books, and the Bible does one thing. It teaches us about God. It teaches us about God's character. It teaches us about his ways. And ultimately, the Bible is the story of God. Uh, I, I teach uh, a, a Bible study class uh, at, at Northview, and then uh, we use the inductive method. And, and one of the things I, I always remind uh, the, the students that I'm, I'm teaching or the people that I'm in the same study with is you know, the Bible's God's story, right? No matter where you're at, right? You just flip open the Bible, go to any page, and it is going to teach you something about God's character, right? Like who God is, what he is doing, or it's going to teach you something about people, like what is wrong with people and how God fixes it. So Psalm 119 is referencing that. When it says you are good and do good, it is reminding us that, hey, the Bible's God's story. And we actually, we learn something about the character of God, if, if you're like me, you start a new reading plan, like at the beginning of the year, right? Today, you would be in Genesis 2, right? So we're just going to cover the first two or three chapters of, of Genesis as quick examples of how the Bible shows us the character of God. So if you read Genesis 1, like you get through the first verse and you already learn something about who God is. So verse 1 is the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right? So there was a time when there was nothing, and then God made a whole bunch of stuff. If you read yesterday or today and you got through just this one chapter, you have already learned something about who God is. Uh, God is creative, and not creative in the sense that like, he makes stuff. Like I'm not creative. Right? I, can, I can fry an egg, right? but if you put me in a kitchen, I'm not going to make anything very nice. Uh, but you could say that I create culinary masterpieces. God is not like that. God is the kind of God who makes things, but who makes really good things, right? If you read through Genesis 1, the the word good keeps coming up. You're told creation is good. The animals are good. You know, the seas and the land is good. Uh, When when we get to Genesis 2, we learn that the, the people are good, or our people are created good. The creation in general is good. The trees in the garden are pleasing to the eye. God makes good God makes beautiful things, right? Stuff says something about the person who created them. So Genesis 1 is already teaching us God is creative. God is the kind of God who makes beautiful things. If you make it into chapter 3, we learn that God is merciful. Chapter 3 of Genesis uh, covers the the entrance of sin into the world. So this is foundational to the Christian story, right? If you look at the world around us, it's not that good sometimes, right? What, what What happened so that a good world became not good, 
right? Sin entered the world. And Genesis 3 narrates that story. And you would think that God would be mad that someone came in and mucked it all up, right? But God chose mercy. Adam and Eve, our first parents, disobeyed God's law. And God's reaction is to kill animals, to clothe them, give them clothing so they can be in God's presence. So we see a God who you would think would be just, but in that moment, he chooses mercy. God makes a way for people to be in relationship with him, even when they're not like him. So three chapters in, and we're already seeing God is creative. God is merciful in the interest of time. I'm going to fast forward a few books. Exodus 34, 6 to 7 is the best Old Testament summary of the character of God, right? Not just creative, not just merciful. It goes big picture. Exodus 34, 6 to 7, God is speaking to Moses and he says this, the Lord or Yahweh, God's personal name, uh, passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Right, we see merciful, gracious, slow to anger, steadfast love, uh, just, right, not clearing the guilty. So we see the fullness of the character of God. But if we wanted to summarize that, right, so if we wanted to take all those phrases and make it one word, what would be the best one word summary of who God is? God is good which is what Psalm 119.68 tells us. That's the very first half of that little verse. God is good. This is foundational Christian theology. Uh, and it is no surprise then that people in the world uh, who do not hold Christian convictions would challenge this view. Uh, one of the most famous was made by a man named Plato, if you're familiar with him. He's a Greek philosopher uh, in, in the 400s, right? So this is two millennia ago. And he is challenging this kind of idea, right? He, he wasn't directly challenging it yet. Jesus had not come. Uh, and I'm not sure how familiar he was with the Old Testament, but he, the, he was challenging the idea of where morals come from, right? Christians are saying morality comes from God. God is good. And he was saying, well, I, I want to examine the question. And he framed it like this. There, there's two options. The first is, is something good because God wills it? The second is, is something good, and therefore God wills it. So this is a, a philosophy syllogism, but I will make it a little bit more readable, because even as I look at it, I'm trying to remember. So option A, right, is morality, is something good because God wills it? It is making the argument that something is good uh, because God just chose it. And if it had been a different day, God would have chosen something else, right? It is, it's random. It depends on whims, right? So we, when we look at the Bible, right, it teaches us, right, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And we like, hey, those are good things, right? But what if God had said uh, it is good to eat other people? Uh, you know, on what, on what basis would we challenge that claim, right? If, if morality just depends on whatever God chooses, God can choose anything. And he could have just said that. How would you, how would you challenge his morality, and a Christian looks at that and they're like, well, like, no, there are some things that are definitely bad. So uh, God wouldn't do that. And they're like, well, how would you know? So this option, Christians have to deny. Option B is something good and therefore God wills it. So God is essentially a messenger. God is out there in the universe traveling around. And he looks over here and he says, oh, it's really cool that those people don't steal. 
I'm going to make that a rule. And it's really good that those people don't lie. I'm going to make that a rule. And it's really good, and so forth, and so forth. And you like, that worldview makes God a messenger. He's in no way is he the ultimate authority because he is simply out there discovering. He's not the source of all knowledge. So a Christian looks at both of those options and they say, wait a minute, uh, not a fan. Neither of these is good. Neither of these agrees with the scriptures. So the Christian solution is, you know, go down the middle, option three. And option three is to use the exact language of Psalm 119. No, God is good. But morality, the source of morality is the, is the character of God. So because God is good, anything that looks like God, anything that imitates God, that is then good. And God, because he is good, everything he does is good. So when God gives us rules for life, those rules are good. And when God teaches us those rules, it is good to be taught by God. So God is good and does good. The Christian solution is that his character is, is the foundation of, of goodness. Um, a good God gives a good law, and that good law leads to a good life. The greatest example, though, of the goodness of God is not the Bible. The Bible is a good, a good thing. God gave it to us so we would know him, and that is good. Knowing God is good. Uh, but the greatest example in all of creation of the goodness of God is the resurrection of Jesus. So we, we just got through Christmas, right? And at Christmas, we celebrate the arrival of Jesus, right? God became a baby and like lived among us, right? Emmanuel means God with us. He dwelt among people. But the story of Jesus continues and he, he lived a, a perfect life, right? Obeying God in every way that we don't. We do lie, we do steal, we do covet. And then he died in, in our place, right? So sinful people get forgiven through his death. And then he rose again. So Jesus is the first person in all of human history who died but did not stay dead. And the Christian message, right, is the, the, uh, an example of the goodness of God is the Christian message that death is not the end of your story. The only thing better than like a, a good life, right, where, with people getting along as the law of God lays out is if that were to continue like forever, and this is what the resurrection of Jesus is, is proof that God is working towards. Uh, we, here in the West, we uh, like glorify retirement a little bit, right? We, we look forward to it, right? We make our TFSAs and our RSPs and investment plans. And uh, we're working towards this day when magically at 65, everything will change. And we will go on that 180-day cruise. We'll golf every day, play pickleball, see the grandkids, right? Travel for days, right? We, we make this amazing picture. And for some people do get it, right? Some people work really hard and things just happen to work in their favor. And they, you know, they enjoy 15, 20, 25 years of a really happy retirement. Uh, but then they, they die, right? Everyone, everyone eventually dies. And some people don't actually even make it to that great of a retirement, right? They, what they experience is like 10 to 15 years of uh, a lot of prescriptions, a lot of bodily pain, and then they die. So retirement as the ultimate goal is a pretty bad goal uh, because death is the end of our story, unless you're a Christian. The Christian message is that death is not the end of, a, of our story. Death is something that you live through 1 Corinthians 15.53 is Paul making this exact point. For the perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. 
when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Paul is reflecting on, on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And he reminds us that, hey, if Jesus rose from the dead, then death is not the end of our story. Like death has no sting. Death isn't the final word in your life. Billy Graham was, was a famous evangelist, right? And, and he said something very similar. When he died in, in February 2018, um, a, lot of, a lot of people shared on social media, like what was the most impactful Billy Graham quote or sermon that, that you'd heard? And the, the one that stood out the most to me was when he paraphrased a guy named D.L. Moody, who was another evangelist from the 1800s. And he, had, he said something along these lines. Uh, someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. Billy Graham was saying what 1 Corinthians 15 says, what, 1 Corinthians, or what, what Psalm 119.68 points forward to, that the greatest example of the goodness of God is that he has made a way for death to not have the, the final say in your story. When we say that God is good, this is the kind of things that this good God does. And the only way to enjoy that eternal life is to follow him. It is available to anyone by faith in Jesus. The first thing we learn in Psalm 119.68 is that God is good. But character is always expressed in actions, right? So God is good and does good. We see the goodness of God in our world in two main ways. So I want to talk about each one. Uh, the first is a phrase uh, we'll, we'll call common grace. So the way that God treats people, there is a common grace that God shows to all people. And common grace uh, is the, the blessings that are not part of salvation. So there is a way that God interacts with everyone who's alive that is good. And, and we see it here. So I'm going to give you examples from, from our world. So here in you know, the Fraser Valley, uh, or not the Fraser Valley here, the greater Vancouver area, uh, we see like the prosperity of life. Like you, you drove here on roads that were pretty functional. Like if you've ever traveled outside of the, you know, North America, there are other places where the roads are nowhere near this nice, right? You got here in a vehicle that you own or lease, and you are now here in a building that is heated by very stable electricity and gas, and we have Wi-Fi that works great, so some people can watch from home. So you live in a world that has material prosperity like beyond our wildest dreams. Like if you ask any other person in most of human history, like how good will it get? Like we are living in that time. Like this is as good as it gets. So we could say that God has been good to us and that you were born into this world. You could have been born a thousand years ago. Like my wife and I, uh, we will watch shows like The Crown or Downton Abbey. Uh, and she always says like, man, I wish I lived in that time. And I... To, to be a curmudgeon, I always remind her that, you know, Becky, if, if we lived in that time, like, I would probably be, like, the, the dude driving the car, and you'd probably be working in the kitchen. Uh, like, I don't think we would be the royalty person, right? And this is the thing, right? We always, as we look back at these period pieces, we always think, yeah, like, no, I would be that person. The reality for most people is life kind of stunk, but you're born in this world, and your life is great. 
Obviously, there are things that could change. I'm, I'm not blind to that. But you live in the best time in human history. And we can go even further. Um, I was watching the movie Without Remorse on, on Amazon Prime. It's based on a Tom Clancy book. The movie was just okay. Don't recommend. The book was pretty good. If you're into Tom Clancy or if you're into that genre, uh, I, I do recommend the book. There's a scene at the beginning of the movie uh, where you have a couple helicopters flying into a city. And as it, it's showing, you know, like how we have the, the wide shot of the Tri-City area or Vancouver, right? You're going into a city, but there's smoke everywhere. There's burned out cars. There's uh, military personnel and tanks. And you look at it and you're like, it is a very, very sad picture. And as we're watching the movie, my wife turns to me and, and is like, is this a real place? And I'm like, I have no idea if that shot was in a real place, but I know that there are places on earth that look very much like that. If you had been born at this time, but in another place on earth, uh, you would have seen firsthand the violence of humanity. Uh, you could have been born somewhere else. So when we look at our world around it, there, for us, there is a way that God has shown grace to us, a common grace uh, where we just, we have it really good. So it's not, and it's not just our circumstances, right? If you look outside, there are mountains everywhere. You live in one of the most beautiful places on earth, right? There is a hashtag, right? PNW for this part of the world. We have some of the best skiing, hiking, snowboarding, mountain biking. Like when, when we say that God is good towards people, like we do have it pretty doggone good, right? So the God in his mercy has given us all these things. Matthew 5.45 is Jesus reflecting on this. And he says this, God makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. You woke up today. You drove here because the sun illuminated your way and that sun is melting away the snow. So finally, you won't need winter tires in a few months. You have it pretty good. God has been good towards you. But God in his goodness, there's a kind of goodness that goes beyond just the stuff, just beyond, like beyond the culture, beyond the economy, beyond the physical beauty of our area. There is a way that God shows his goodness towards people that we refer to as salvation, as saving grace. So common grace is great. Saving grace is better. And this saving grace is that God has made a way for sinful people to be reconciled to that God. Scripture covers this story, right, in, in, from Genesis to Revelation, and we use four, four letters to, to summarize that, right? Creation, rebellion, redemption, recreation, right? That's the story arc of Scripture. Saving grace is this story that God made everything and God made it good, right? We, we saw that in Genesis 1 and 2, but Adam and Eve rebelled, right? We, our first parents chose to reject God's law. God said, don't eat, of the, eat, eat from this tree, don't eat of this tree, be fruitful and have dominion over the world that I've given you. And they said, God, you're here and I'm here, but I think we should switch. They rejected God's will for them. They rejected God's law. And then people like you and me have done the same thing ever since. We do covet, we do lie, we do steal, right? Everyone likes to be in charge. And we have a world then that is not good. God made it good, that world in rebellion is not good. And God could jump in and, you know, throw it away, start over. But God's reaction is, no, actually, I'm, I'm going to redeem it. I'm going to make it good. I'm going to work through the, the ugliness of the world. And we celebrate that story at Christmas. That's what God has done. Jesus came, born as a baby, lived a perfect life, died for the forgiveness of sins. And then in that, that story, the, the greatest example of the goodness is that he resurrected 
He like, he's not dead anymore and he will never die again. And anyone who believes in him will not face death. So you have in this story, creation, rebellion, redemption, recreation, a special way that God shows his grace towards our world, his saving grace. There's a theologian in, in the 300s named St. Augustine uh, and he reflecting on, on the world around us, right? Which he saw in his world, it was not good either. And he said, God, it, God judged it better to bring good out of evil than to not permit any evil to exist at all. So God shows his common grace towards us and that we live pretty good lives in a pretty good place. And then God shows his saving grace and that he draws all kinds of people and he offers to all kinds of people salvation. So how should we respond to a God who shows his goodness, right? A God who is good and does good. I think like we follow him, right? Common grace is good. Saving grace is better. Romans 5.8 says this, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God did something for people who had no interest in God. How should we respond to that kind of God? You, you follow him. You accept his offer. I shop at Superstore because it is cheap. And my wife is cheap. No, my wife is very nice. But she <laughs> loves a good deal. So we go to Superstore. On our way to Superstore, as she is telling me all the parking spots that I miss, that I could have parked in, uh, she always has the Superstore app, or the, the PC app open. And she's scrolling through the offers. Click, 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 click. Right? Accepting all kinds of offers. That app is available to anyone, right? You need a smartphone and the App Store or Google Play and you download the app and you sign in and you have access to all the same offers that we do, right? The offers are there for everyone, but you don't get the offers unless you accept them. You have to click on it. You have to accept it and you have to go through the store and buy some things. Uh, God has done the same thing in Jesus. Jesus is there for all of you, but you have to accept it. And he offers something a lot better than double points or cheap groceries. He offers eternal life. So the God who is good and does good offers salvation to all people. Will you accept his offer? God is good. God does good. Lastly, God allows evil for greater good. I think this is the, like, the hardest point. Right? I, up to here, I hope you were tracking with me. Like None of you look asleep. I don't think the argument is that hard to grasp. It is word for word what Psalm 119 says. But then life, right? Like When we look at our lives, uh, I think we live through things that really make it hard to believe what Psalm 119.68 says. You're like, God is mostly good and does mostly good. And that's how I would paraphrase it when I look at the things that I see in the world around me. And I don't think any of us are that different. Uh, if you just look right now, right, we're still in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic uh, where they seem to discover a new variant every six months and lockdowns are still here and mask mandates are still here and each government says different things and each province says different things. Uh, so we live in a confusing, frustrating, challenging world. Uh, the Nooksack River overflowed, right? I live in Abbotsford. We're in the middle of the Fraser Valley. The Nooksack River in northern Washington, we had... A lot of rain, that river overflows, knocks out hundreds of farms and houses in the Fraser Valley. Uh, those farms produce chicken and milk, like for all of Canada. So we are facing some challenges now as people are homeless, as farms are, are gone, and there'll be more challenges in the months to come. 
That same rain, that flood of the Fraser Valley, knocked out Highway 3, Highway 5, Highway 1, right? We, have, we live in logistical challenges, right? Some of the roads still aren't fully repaired. And these are just the extra things, right? Like, there's the normal life. Uh, at, I serve at Northview in Abbotsford, and one of the saddest reminders of how painful life can be is, like, Christmas Eve is the Super Bowl of the church game, right? Like, we have, like, thousands of people that show up. The week after Christmas, most people don't do anything, uh, there's always a funeral at our church every single year. Right? Our church is large. It's like 3,000, 4,000 people. And if those people and the people connected to them, you have a pool of 10,000, 15,000 people, there will be a death. And there will be an empty chair at New Year's Eve and then an empty chair at Easter and an empty chair next Christmas. For a lot of people, as they're sitting there, their stories are not so good. God is good and does good. Their story is not so good. So how do I fit all these things together then, right? If you're like me, you're like, I'm tr- I, want, I, I want to believe it. I, the Bible says it. I want to believe it. But how can I make it fit when like, my life is a challenge to this idea? I think what happens for us uh, is we have to confront the hard truth that we are often ignorant of what God is doing in our world. Uh, we are often unaware of how he is working in circumstances to bring about a greater good, to bring out an outcome that God desires uh, because it's actually different than the outcome that we desire. So we either ignore it or we actively avoid it. So I think the solution to fix this thinking in our heads is a very simple word, providence. Uh, This word can be defined as purposeful sovereignty. So purpose is that God is working towards a desired outcome in any situation. And sovereignty, the idea that God is powerful. So God is powerful enough to work in any circumstance towards a desired outcome. So this this word, this idea, I think helps us think, right? This is the spectacles that help us view the world around us with, with a, a biblical understanding. Uh, everyone faces suffering. Everyone has hard stories. The question is not, will you suffer? And not even really, to what extent will you suffer? The question is, how will you view the suffering that you face? How will you understand the suffering that you face? I, I think providence is the answer to that, right? God is purposeful in his sovereignty. He is working out greater good. Uh, I want to give you two examples of what this looks like. One will be very simple. One will be, I think, a little bit harder uh, or will be more challenging for the way we think. The first one is from my own life. Uh, I tore meniscus in my right knee uh, about a year and a half ago. So last summer, tore meniscus. Uh, i was queued up for surgery, waited a full year. Uh, So I had gotten to the point where I was mostly functional. I was at like 90%. So I was just in pain a lot, but I could do most things. So I was just like, I guess this is life for me now. I will just limp at age 30. Good for me. Uh, But eventually, in God's grace, in God's common grace, I live in Canada, and I was able to get surgery. So I, I got my surgery, and then for eight weeks, I basically did nothing. Uh, and I was very frustrated about that recovery period. I was told it, could be, it would be four to eight weeks. It took me eight weeks. Uh, and I was like, I'm young. I'm pretty healthy. Like, there's no reason it should take me this long. I remember being really frustrated, like, to the point of angry at all the things I was missing out on. I was in the middle of my men's soccer league season. Uh, I was in, you know, some of the best form of my life in, in playing soccer. Uh, I, I liked the guys I play with. Like, we had a good mix of guys. Some of the more rotten apples had left the team. So I was like, 
this is my time, baby. Like, I get to play lots. God, why couldn't this surgery happen three months sooner? Why couldn't it happen three months later? Like, I was mostly functional. I remember being kind of a whiner about it. But then as I, as I lived through it and was reflecting on it after the fact, I realized that this could not have come at a better time. It was a massive inconvenience for me, according to Freddie's schedule. Uh, but Freddie had settled into a not great habit. Like I, I told you before, we, we have a baby. My son was born March 10th, 2021. Uh, and I had just gotten quite used to the habit of, I, I was just gone every Saturday morning, right? I have, I, I mean, at that time, he would have been six, seven months. So I have a, a baby, he crawls, right? So he, it's not like he can just sit there and be very cute. Like he gets into stuff uh, and I'm just gone basically the whole weekend, right? I'm gone Saturday playing soccer, Sundays I'm at the church. So I, I was just okay with it and letting my wife do all of the heavy lifting on the weekend. Uh, I was mad that my comfort was ruined. I was mad that my schedules were ruined. But as I reflected on it, I'm like, you know what I gained? I gained a whole bunch of family time. I gained the realization that I needed to do more to help my family uh, as my son becomes more active. Uh, you know, God allowed this evil in my schedule being ruined to, for greater good, like to wake me up to the broken thinking, uh, remove me from a bad habit that I was settling into. And this is a tiny example, right? I, I think there's much bigger ones. There's a really big one in scripture. So th this one might almost seem comical, right? Because I, I got surgery, I got fixed. Like there's no, that's barely suffering. That's not suffering, that's actually a good thing. Uh, but there are stories that we read that are much more challenging than this. Genesis 50 is Joseph reflecting on his life. And if you know the story of Joseph, it gets covered in the last about 20 chapters of Genesis. And Joseph lived through basically every hard thing a person can live through. 17-year-old right? kid, he, part of a huge family, kind of a punk, but name a 17-year-old kid that is not a punk. Uh, he says some things to his brothers. They get really mad at him. And they plot his murder. Uh, which I grew up with a brother, we fought a lot, I never planned my brother's murder, uh, he never planned mine, so already you're like, man, I've heard of family dysfunction, but this is like, this is family dysfunction. So Joseph is part of a family that his brothers plot his murder, uh, but they apparently still have a tiny moral compass, so they say, murder is bad, we won't do murder, we will sell him as a slave. So Joseph then gets sold as a slave at 17 years old, right? Most of us at 17 were trying to get a license, right? Saving up for our first car. Joseph gets betrayed by his brothers and sold into slavery to a different country. So his story went from horrible to more horrible. Uh, he ended up in, I guess, a good working environment because his, the guy who bought him uh, treated him pretty well. Uh, but ultimately, he was accused of sexually assaulting his boss's wife and then ended up in prison. So this guy goes from potentially being murdered to slave to falsely accused and then imprisoned. Like his story is like, if it's, a, it's a roller coaster, right? It is going straight down. He is living through the, like, the ugliest things that people can live through. And then his story takes a kind of a good turn. A decade later, around the age of 30, he enters Pharaoh's service, right? He, he gets removed from prison. Uh, he works for Pharaoh and works in, in storing up grain uh, to prepare Egypt for a coming famine. Uh, it took him, like by the time he was, and in the end of his story, he was reunited with his family. He was reunited with his brothers and with his dad. Uh, 
Genesis 50 is him reflecting after he's been reunited with his family on everything that happened before. He's, it's not in the midst of suffering. It is reflection after the fact. And he says the famous words in Genesis 50 verse 20, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. As he's reflecting on his life, it is interesting at the, the temporal marker of this, like what time this happened. I don't think there was a moment when J Joseph is, you know, being carried in a slave caravan through the desert to Egypt where he was thinking, ah, yes, God is good and does good. I don't think there was a moment when he's in the middle of prison, right, buried in a hole somewhere, and he thinks to himself, ah, yes, God is good and does good. I know this is going to work out. I, I don't know if that happened. The scriptures don't tell us. What the scriptures do tell us is as he reflected after the experience, he could not help but acknowledge what Psalm 119.68 tells us, that God is good and does good. God worked this out for good. God had a plan that he carried out, even though it involved some very difficult things for Joseph, and it all worked out. I think this story is an example of providence and teaches us how to think. The, like, the most foundational Christian posture is trust. Right? You're trusting God. Right? That, that is what we do. We trust God to save us from our sins. We trust God to provide for us all the things we need. Uh, and we trust God to work in our suffering, in the evil we face, for greater good. I want to give you three examples of challenging situations that I, some of you may be facing. Certainly, you know someone who is facing these. Uh, and how, it, with a, a little pivot in changing the way we view them, we can trust God's providence and affirm that God is good and does good, even in the midst of these things. You may be, or you may know someone who is breaking down their faith, right? Deconstructing. Uh, if, if you've been reading much on social media, if you've been reading much um, on like Relevant or all the other Christian magazines, like this is a movement that has gained a lot of traction during the COVID-19 pandemic. As people have time and as their, their patterns are disrupted of going to church, of being part of, uh, of a community, uh, they just start re-examining all their normal Christian beliefs. And all the things that were pretty foundational, right? The biblical view of marriage, uh, understanding of sin, right? The exclusivity of Christ. People start chipping away at those and moving in the opposite direction. You may be or you may know someone who is deconstructing their faith. Uh, you may be or you may know someone who is battling through a difficult marriage, right? Another thing that, that has always happened, but it seems to be even more common now uh, as as routines change, people are realizing, you know what? We were actually never this. We were never together. We were parallel paths. I'm functionally a roommate with the person I made vows to. We just, it's not like bad. It's not like we're abusive to one another. We're just cold. We just work together to get through the day, and tomorrow we'll do the same thing. There are people who are leaving their faith. There are people who are in incredibly difficult marriages. And there are people who are just struggling, overwhelmed with uh, the, the government and church and the individual and how all three fit together uh, as a result of COVID-19, right? Everyone has a different view for what, who has the, the right authority, who can make the decisions on, on any given situation. 
And people are looking at that and they're like, I don't, I don't know if this church is for me. I don't know if I trust my leaders. I don't know if I trust my government. I don't know if I trust my neighbor. How come everyone disagrees with me? Right? These three situations, I think, are you may be facing them or you may know someone who is facing them. And I think in all of them, you could say, like, see, God sometimes is good. God sometimes does good. But I think if, if we trust God's providence, right, if we react like Christians, I think even here, we can see that God is good and does good. You know, the person you know who's deconstructing, uh, it is a challenge, and they're taking steps away, but they're still talking to you, right? They, they could not be talking to you. They could be talking to the friends who are leading them away, but they're talking to you. And in God's providence, you're part of Tri-City, a church that teaches the Bible. So actually, you're equipped to be able to interact with them on some of the challenges that they have. So we could look at that and we say, well, them walking away, that's not good. But God using me to maybe bring them back, well, that is good. So God is good and does good. In a difficult marriage, right, we, the, the coldness, right, the joy that is being sucked out of that person's life, you could, you could look at that and you could say, see, my life is not good. God is, God is not good. Or you could look at it and say, well, what was happening is my, my plans are being disrupted. My selfishness is being disrupted. Uh, I actually, for us to, you know, on these parallel paths, we could actually join together again, like we were back in the day, right? I, I could, if I'm willing to face some of my selfishness, if I'm willing to give up some of my preferences, we, like we could actually make it work together. So God in his goodness has given you an opportunity to restore it, to work together, to grow through it. And for those who are facing the challenges of church and government and individuals, uh, Matthew 16 reminds us that the church of God will never fall. Like regardless of whatever pressure you're facing, whatever difficulties you're facing, God's word tells us that no matter what, Canada won't be here one day, but the church will. So, we can trust God. God is good and does good. I don't know what he's doing, or I don't know exactly what he's doing, uh, but I know that what he is doing is good. God is working for good in every single situation. The best indicator of future performance is past performance. Genesis 50 is a great example of God's past performance. A God who can work over three decades to save many, many lives. That was the point of Genesis 50. Of Joseph's story, God meant this for good, that through him, many lives would be saved. And many lives were saved. I don't know your story. Uh, I have no idea what you are facing. Uh, but I am certain that you will be challenged in your ability to trust that God is good and does good. The point of Psalm 119.68 is that we would have spectacles, right? That we would have glasses that help us view our world correctly. Uh, that help us understand that no matter what we're facing uh, in, in this past year or in the, in, yeah, in the past year or I guess the year we're in now, it's day two of a brand new year, God is good and does good. The year changed, but God did not. Uh, I have no idea what your 2021 was like. Uh, my word for the year was more, like more of the same stuff. Uh, my word of the year for 2022 is again, uh, which maybe that's not encouraging for you. Uh, hopefully it is. Uh, my point is, I have no idea if what you are facing is going to improve today or tomorrow or next week or next month. Uh, I have no idea what you're even facing. Uh, what I do know is that Psalm 119.68 tells us that God is good and does good. 
And as you continue living through your circumstance, I don't think you'll see it in the moment, but I think as you get through it, you will be able to see it. So in the moment, your response has to be to trust, to trust the God who is good and does good. Your circumstances might not change, but your perspective can. So I hope that you can agree with the writer of Psalm 119, and no matter what lemons life gives you, you make lemonade and say, God is good and does good. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for this day. Uh, thank you for your word that reminds us that you are good and do good. Uh, Father, I'm aware of how often I feel challenged to believe that uh, in, in my own life, and I'm certain that people in this room uh, face the same challenges. So Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength to trust you. Uh, we're gonna face some hard things this year, uh, like we will face hard things every single year. Uh, but no matter what, you are good and do good. Father, help us say it. Uh, help us believe it. Uh, help us say it out loud if we have to. Uh, Lord, I pray that you bless this church and then we ask you to come quickly. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.